0: Hi, this is Bruce Foreman. I'm a guitar player, and I run a podcast called Guitar Wank, and I'm really pleased to be here with one of my heroes, great guitarist, Albert Lee.
1: Well, oh, Thank you. Good to be here.
0: <laughs> I just want to let you know that after 40 years of being on your side of the microphone, just being interviewed, mm-hmm. this is my first shot at this side, and so I'm just going to ask you in advance to be gentle with me.
1: Oh, <laughs> He'll be fine, I'm sure.
0: Okay, good. (laughs) First and foremost, let's get to the business. You're going to be playing in the area real soon. you Uh, want to tell us
1: about that? Uh, Well, let's see. The first thing I'll be doing is the Malibu Guitar Festival. That's at Casa Escobar in Malibu, of course. The first day is the 28th of April. That's like an opening night, and there'll be a, a bunch of guests there. So I'll be like a guest player with Oh it's going to be band. kind of a
0: jam and everything. You have a bunch of it, great players playing. Yeah. That sounds fun. Yeah,
1: and I think Robert Randolph is is going to be there and uh, Kenny Wayne Shepherd I mm. believe, yeah. And then the following night, the twenty twenty 29th, uh, uh it's it's my night. I do it with my band. Oh, great. You know, so uh, it'll be Good fun. Played local.
0: <laughs> uh huh. So you live in Malibu, don't yeah, you? We,
1: yeah, We've lived in Malibu. You got to be careful. Seventies. Yeah.
0: Any gig that's that close to your house in L.A., people are usually late. <laughs> I don't know why that is. If I'm if I work across town, I'm three hours early because I'm expecting traffic. But if there's a gig near my house, I'm always late. I don't know why I'll that be, is. Be, yeah. Okay, make sure you're on be, time. Yeah. I'm yeah. be, okay. Well, it, it's a restaurant, so I'll probably eat before I play. <laughs> that can be dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, especially... Some of the group. restaurants I play in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and anything else coming up? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, May 7th
1: and 8th, this is with my band, I believe. This is at McCabe's. Oh, great. In Santa Monica. And, uh, and then... South Pasadena on May fifteenth is the Eclectic Music Festival.
0: So you got a busy little shot coming up here. Yeah, and is, it, is those, all those are your band as well?
1: Yeah, they're they're all my band.
0: What's the configuration?
1: Uh, just uh, keys, bass, and drums, mm-hmm. and me. You know, so it's uh, Will McGregor on bass, uh, Jason Smith on drums, and uh, my regular keyboard player is J T Thomas. But I'm not actually sure if he's going to make some of these.
0: I see. Yeah, you know,
1: because he he works with Bruce Hornsby, so uh, he takes precedence.
0: <laughs> a keyboard player with Bruce Hornsby. Yeah. It's sort of redundant, isn't it?
1: Uh well, uh, Bruce loves him. Uh, I'm yeah. sure he, you know I'm sure, he, sure he's yeah. great if that's yeah. the case.
0: Yeah. You know, it's like I never quite got to hiring another guitar player in my band. Yeah, I'm know? not
1: I'm not a big fan of playing with other guitar players. It seems re- redundant really because yeah. I I, you know, play a lot of rhythm stuff and just uh, classes up the, uh, the spectrum yeah, for me. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, in jazz, I even play just like mm. without keyboard too. I like to mm. have all that harmonic, mm. and melodic space to myself, and a lot yeah. of the time, yeah, you know, yeah. I love playing with keyboard too. But yeah. it's kind of free to get, you know, take it where you want. Yeah, yeah. without clash. But um, you know, we we have a lot in common. It turns out, uh, everybody knows you worked with Eric Clapton and. And the Everly brothers, and everybody knows I didn't. (laughs) So. (laughs) Eric's
1: birthday today, actually. Yeah, and happy birthday, Eric, (laughs) although by the time this airs, it won't be his
0: birthday anymore. But uh, I know you've got a great career as a sideman, but of course, you have a very prolific career as a leader and a music director. And it's it's just like a lot of hats throughout your career. Did they? Did were there a conscious choices? I know a lot of us in this business we just kind of go with where the gigs are, and then we kind of end up at a certain age. And you look back and go, "Oh, that's what I did." You yeah. Know?
1: Well, that's pretty much the way it's been. You know, most of my life I've been a side man, mm-hmm. and uh, um, I guess I became a solo artist in the in the eighties. Mm-hmm. And a, f- a friend of mine in England ran a A steel guitar festival that he he ran it for about twenty odd years, and uh, he was running out of steel players. So (laughs) he said, "I I think I'll have start having some guitar players there as well. Would you come over and uh, play?" I said, "Well, what do you want me to do?" He said, "Well, you know, we do an hour or so, you know, sing a bunch of songs." And so uh, I was put in the hot seat there. I there I was fronting a band for the first. First time. Oh, wow. I'd, you know, I sung with bands before as one of the vocalists, but uh, to do a whole show as me was a, a little nerve-wracking, but it went really well. And uh, and I did another 27 years with that band. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> was Europe. there a
0: moment, like where you said, because uh, obviously... It's easy – I mean, I do a lot of sideman work too. It's easy to be a sideman. You just get called and you, you play the gigs as long as they come in. Mm. But to be a leader, obviously, there's a lot more energy has to go into it and a lot more thinking. And one would hope or one would assume. Was there yeah. a decision that you made at some point to say, hey, I think I want to go down this road more? Or? No,
1: no. I was forced into it. You were forced my fr- into yeah, it? by my friend. And then,
0: and then you got used to the money and then
1: uh, – Well, uh, after that <laughs> after that first gig – uh, I thought, well, this, this is easier And I thought, you know, I thought I was going to be a nervous wreck up there mm-hmm. and trying to keep it all together for an hour, hour and a half. But uh, it, it went really well and we started to put shows together directly after that. I mm-hmm. think it wasn't long after that we actually went off to Yugoslavia and did a, a TV show there. Wow. Yeah, and, and it was great to mix it up because prior to that, you know, I'd been a, a sideman and I was working... I was working with Clapton and then I started to work with with the Everly Brothers at mm-hmm. the same time. And and then I started to do my my solo thing. So I was juggling all three there for a while. And then I got fired from Eric mm-hmm. and carried on with the Everly Brothers and and with with my band. And then uh, I guess a few years later, I started to work with Bill Wyman. So then I was juggling uh, the Evley Brothers and Bill Wyman and my band, and then the you know the Everly Brothers quit, and uh, I still work with Bill occasionally, but he's he's going to be eighty years old this year, mm-hmm. so uh, we won't be doing much more, I would imagine you know I hope you do yeah, well, so do I, you know 'cause
0: uh you know it's funny i yeah. want I want all the kids out there listening right now i was I was also playing and doing the same thing my mm-hmm. my band and juggling being sidemen in a lot of bands, and mm-hmm. we did all this. Mm-hmm. Without cell phones,
1: it's a, oh, and I think back. It's, remember it's when a,
0: message machines? Remember when you could finally get an like someone uh, called oh, you for a gig and you actually knew that they had called? Uh, uh, that yeah. was like a huge change. It uh, was like abso- the early eighties, oh, right? No, that absolutely, seventies. Yeah. Now yeah. you know you can manage a whole corporation <laughs> from your back pocket.
1: It's a, yeah, it's just amazing. I'm just driving to gigs and just having an address and. Stopping, and asking the way, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, and and stopping
0: I'm... at payphones.
1: Yeah, and, and
0: yeah. But we were still having fun.
1: Yeah, and we got and it. We still we, managed to make music. Got it, we got it done. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's really amazing when you think about it. So, okay, um, I got some questions musically. I, I'm, I'm a real fan of your playing, and it seems so organic. Like just the way you you play came from obviously your experience and just what you heard. But I hear all these different influences and I'm wondering, like in one particular style, you have a way of of making a lot of sound, you know, both through your hybrid picking and just in general, Mm. the rolling of, you know, you're continually moving the harmony through melodic lines. And it Mm. sounds almost as if there's some sort of a, like a slight influence of banjo playing inside it to me just the way there's always a roll across the strings the way you move across the oh instrument. it's
1: certainly in the country things yeah. yeah I I listened to banjo players and I thought well that's that's really cool and and then I once I discovered Jerry Reed uh-huh. about 1967 I thought well yeah that's that's the that's how it should be done you know? yeah. but I couldn't do it exactly as he did it because he you know he played with a thumb pick and and, uh, of course, Chet played with a thumb pick and I couldn't get on with that at all. And uh, I'd, when I started to play in the, in the late 50s, I was playing with a flat pick and, and fingers. I'd seen one guy actually do it in, in, in England and I thought, well, yeah, that's the way to do it. You can do that Scotty Moore kind of Chet mm-hmm. Atkins thing with a flat pick and it won't be exactly the same, but I'd be able to do all that flat pick stuff that I that I love to do that it doesn't seem natural for me to do with a, with a thumb pick. It just seemed like it was too stiff and, you know, it, w- it wasn't as fluid. But uh, they kind of developed over a period of time, really, just listening to various players. I did get to play with uh, Jerry Reid uh, briefly in England. He came over and did a, a couple of radio shows and I was playing rhythm guitar with him and we'd sit down and jam together and... And I was watching how he was doing it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I thought, well, that, that, that's cool, but, uh, you know, the, the thumb pick's not going to work for me.
0: Yeah, I, I've, same thing, I would, yeah. exact same thing with me. I mean, I'm a flat pick player and, and I just, so the fingers are there and I just end up using them I and it's very unorthodox yeah. when I watch it. I kind of, yeah, it's kind of, I can't bear to watch, actually. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I use my little finger a lot, which is... Uh, I've had people point out to me that that's quite unusual. You
0: know? Yeah, I I, I kind of noticed yeah. I was watching some video of you, and and yeah, you use a lot more of that than your ring finger, I guess yeah. they call it. Yeah. But I mean, it's all it comes from function. I mean, you want it, you hear the sound, and you just make it work. As my yeah. assumption of the way your approach to playing is.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I was inf- influenced by a lot of uh, of the early rock players. You know, Scotty Moore and Cliff Gallup, especially. With Gene Vincent, who was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he was older than some of the rock players at that time, and he was playing like a swing style that he'd learned from Les Paul and and some stuff from Chet as well, you know. Trying to copy his solos were like exercises in the, in themselves, really. And uh, I guess a little later on, I started to get into James Burton, and that was a little alien to me at the time. Really, yeah. Well, you know, when we all started playing in England in the late 50s, we, we were buying sets of strings with wound third, you know, and I'd say, how are these guys bending those strings? How, how on earth are they doing it? And uh, it was visiting Americans uh, like Eddie Cochran and uh, Dwayne Eddy, you know, came over to England and, and around that time and they spread the word what the Guys were doing here, you know, making mm-hmm. up sets of strings with a with a, an unwound third. Oh, I see. So, I, you know, I started to do that about sixty-one, I guess, you know, and then I was able to get all these other sounds that I previously wasn't able to do.
0: Wow! So, mm-hmm. growing up in England, and especially at that time, I, I I think I read that you come from a musical family, right? Well, my
1: father played the piano and the accordion, you know, just yes. self-taught, really, right. you know, and not he didn't do it for a living, but uh, certainly encourage, encouraged me, you know. Mm-hmm. I, we had a piano in the house from early on, and uh, I'd bash away at it, and uh, and then they got me piano lessons for a couple of years. I, I guess I was ten, ten through twelve, maybe. I got on all right. But I, I was lazy. I didn't practice between the lessons, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I could have gotten on a lot, a lot easier if uh, if I had practiced. But uh, um, so I stopped the lessons, and uh, it wasn't long after that we were exposed to a guy in England called Lonnie Donegan, who was uh, kind of folk, jazz, blues. I, I, I guess you'd. You know, he was influenced by Woody Guthrie and Lead Belly, and he'd play these folk tunes with a lot of energy with a a jazz rhythm section, you know, Mm -hmm. electric guitar, bass and drums behind him. And uh, it was pretty exciting music, and it was English too, so it was a great time for us. Everybody wanted to play Lonnie Donegan's songs, you know, Mm -hmm. simple three-chord folk songs, you know, and... uh, and it's it started from there really, you know. All of the bands that were playing at that time, you know, the Beatles and the Stones, when they were really young, they played in skiffle groups. You know. mm-hmm. Some of us had washboards, you know, playing the, you know the rhythm and tea chest bass, you know, make up a sure sure you know with a box with a piece of string and whatever.
0: A yeah, gut bucket, I think we call that yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. So
1: we you know, we all did that about 57. Washed up bass. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what fifty seven or so. But uh you know, things moved very quickly, you know, we were uh we all of a sudden we were exposed to all this great rock and roll that was coming over from America. And uh Christmas of fifty eight my folks bought me my first decent guitar. I think I'd been playing guitar for about 18 months without actually owning one. I was borrowing them from various school friends, <laughs> you know. So they bought me my first guitar, which was a German Hoffner arch top. And I think it, it did have a pickup at, you know, at the end of the fingerboard, but I had nothing to plug it into. I think maybe I plugged it into a, a radio for a while, into the gramophone input,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then I, I used a friend's, tape recorder plugged into the input of that i think i had that guitar for six months eight eight nine months or so and uh i was in the west end of london and uh, looking in this guitar shop window and there's this guitar that looked exactly like the guitar that buddy holly played oh and uh, i thought wow that's fantastic i, I I've gotta have that, you know. <laughs> it was second hand and it was quite expensive. You know, I I persuaded my father to let me trade in this hofner for it and uh, I soon discovered that it wasn't the Stratocaster that I thought it was. Oh. It wasn't no, it was a, a Czechoslovakian copy. I see. It was called a. it was called a Grazioso. They later named it the Futurama. <laughs> and uh that was all we could get at that time. Uh, you know, it had three pickups and a, and a tremolo on it, you know, uh-huh. so... But it, it it didn't have the six pegs on one side. It had, the, you know, three and three. But if, if you uh, remember the cover of the Chirping Crickets album, you can't see the headstock on Buddy's guitar. Ah. So... so uh, I soon learned, you know, that it wasn't exactly like buddies. Or what is it, you know? And so anyway, that I had that guitar for. I played that for about a year, maybe. I think I got that in '58, and we played local gigs, and we had, we did get a band amplifier. Uh, like three of us going through it. Yeah. And uh, you know, this is what all the bands did back then, mm. and. Uh, you know we played local gigs played some cinemas you know before the movie but, you know got got on stage did about four tunes and whatever you know but by early 1960 the drummer we had he was a little older than us he worked in the west end of london he worked at the music publishers and uh, he was going around looking for work for us and he went to this well known manager impresario who who managed like a half a dozen rock singers in the UK. Most of them had been on TV at that time. And uh, we ended up being a backing bang for this guy called Dickie Pride. And off we went to Scotland on a steam train Uh with our one amplifier. By that time, there were just three of us, you know, guitar, bass and drums. And uh, there we were playing these dance halls in Scotland, you know, and uh, we were just 16, so that was my first taste of uh, being on the road, you know. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I came back from that tour, as it was. I think it was about twelve gigs, and uh, realised that I had to get an amplifier. You know? So,
0: <laughs> I, so
1: I mean, this, this is the this is the big turning point for for the guys in England at that time. This was nineteen sixty, mid nineteen sixty, I guess. I was in the music shop there that mostly sold Hofner guitars, you know, and they said, "We're getting some American amps in, you know. Maybe you'd like to get one of those, you know." So I looked at the catalog and I thought, "Wow, this looks great, you know." And it was a Supro, a Supro with a
0: oh, I love those amps. Yeah,
1: and I chose the Supro with a fifteen-inch Jensen.
0: Ooh. And
1: it, well, I mean, that, that, I just picked it out of the catalog, and they were getting a shipment in 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 a month or so. So I put a deposit down on this amp and it eventually came in and, of course, I loved it, you know. And not long after that, the American guitars came in because uh, it's not generally known here, but we couldn't get uh, American stuff up until that time because there was an, a, an import embargo on luxury goods and they were regarded as luxury items, not, not necessary items, you right. know. So they they lifted that embargo in in 1960, so all of a sudden there was a wall full of Gibson guitars in in Selma's, the big music shop, you know. And the the shop that I bought this Grazioso guitar, they had Fender guitars in there. I think I was in in Selma's one day and I I would realised I've got to get a a real guitar, you know, an American guitar. And I'd already persuaded a friend of mine to buy, he was going to buy an English guitar. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, they've got, they've got Gibsons and Selmers now. Come on, let's go up and uh, I'll help you choose a guitar. So he bought this Les Paul Jr., which I immediately borrowed, of course. You know, <laughs> so And it sounded great through this... Uh, through this Supra and I also had a tape echo unit at that time which a lot of people had around that time so I you know I just had a fantastic sound you know that, uh, that generally people didn't have at that time you know so uh I thought I've got to get I've got to get a Gibson and so I'd make my uh, little pilgrimage up to the, the store on Saturdays and uh I think I had my heart set on an ES175 for some reason because it, it it closely resembled what Scotty was playing. He was playing a Super 400 and that was about what I could afford at the time. And I thought, well, yeah, maybe with a Bigsby on it as well, you know. But I, I'd go out there and play around in the store and and this guy heard me playing and uh, I said, oh, are you in a band? I said, well, I kind of in between at the moment he said well we need a guitar player you know if you, maybe you'd, you'd be interested and uh, you won't need a guitar we've got a guitar already you know so uh, he said come over to my house so I, 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 we drove over to his house and uh, he opened up this guitar case and there's a brand new Les Paul Custom with a with a Bigsby I said okay I'll join your <laughs> band so, so uh, you know of course that was another big turning point for me you know i got to playing some gigs around the london area and got to be the you know the trio uh, the guitar bass and drums of, of this particular band became the house band at this little coffee bar in the in the west end of london where everybody used to congregate it was called the two eyes coffee bar and uh, a lot of guys have been discovered down there you know as they. It was very small, actually. It wasn't much bigger than this studio, actually, <laughs> but people would come in. There was a stage up there. You could get about four people on there, you know. It started out with skiffle groups playing there, but then it became electric, you know. So, uh, you know, people used to come in and sit in and... uh well, you know, none of us sang at that time, so, you know, we all relied on guys getting up and singing and there there are always lots of willing guys <laughs> wanting to get up and and sing rock and roll songs, you know. Well, of course, we knew them all. Incidentally, one of the guys who used to come in there regularly was Jimmy Page and uh, he, he loved my Les Paul and my Supro so much that he, not long after that, he bought the same rig... Uh. But he bought he bought a, a smaller Supra. He didn't get the the bigger one, you know. And I think he used that Supra on some of the Zeppelin albums, actually. Wow. So uh, yeah, we're we're around the same age. I'm just a few months or older than he is. So I used to see him regularly there. So uh, it started from there, really. Um, I think not long after that, I went off to to Germany, played the the top ten club in Hamburg. Uh, a lot of British bands there, you know, a lot of Liverpool bands. Yeah, I know, well, the, course, Beatles, yeah. The, the Beatles yeah. played there a long time. I yeah, think. well, that, um, they weren't actually there the time I was there, but of course I, I heard about them, you know. And uh, that was a good place to be, and you know, is go and see a lot of ba- other bands playing, you know, and it was pretty exciting. I, th- I guess for the next year or so, I'd go back and forth to Germany and... I'll be playing local gigs in England with various people and uh the the German gigs were really uh, educational because you'd go over there and you'd play a club for a month and you'd play for six hours a night so you know it was it was a great way of getting a band together you know you'd you Really, you go over there with an okay bunch of musicians, and you come back with a really tight band. And <laughs> I think that's why so many British bands came up through the sixties, because a lot of a lot of us had done that mm-hmm. that kind of work.
0: You know, I guess they say uh, you can't teach experience. right? No,
1: exactly. Yeah, I mean it's. Uh, um, I mean I, I used to practice a lot back then, but. Um, Nowadays, my my practice is going off and playing a local bar, you know. I I love to do that, you know, because you're thinking on your feet.
0: That's right. You know, I get
1: bored. If I sit around and play around the house, I'll do that for half an hour or so and then I'll put it away and do something else, you know. But uh, when you're forced to be out there and have to think on your feet, you know. I've
0: got a band that you should come play with. I I think it would probably bring you back to a lot of the stuff that you started on and then really put all that you have invented since then to all use. All right. In yeah. A new well,
1: way. I'm always happy to do it. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. think
0: it would be I would just yeah. for one be thrilled to death to hear yeah. you play some of this music. So. Yeah,
1: no, I love to get out and 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 play locally. You know, I've missed that because I've been out of town so much. And uh-huh. people forget about me, you know.
0: Well, no one and, forgets about you. Well, they do. You're a big star. Well, that, well, maybe that's what they think
1: because uh, uh, you know oh, we can't call him. You know, he, he's probably on the road. Or, you know, he won't come and play with us. You yeah. know, but um, uh, I miss that because through doing that, people you know you get people re- are reminded that you're around, and they call you for sessions too. Mm, right? When you know, I haven't done a lot uh, recently around. around Town, you know, because I've I've always been away. Yeah. But uh, no, it's it's good to do those sessions and uh, feel like a, a guy doing a nine to five job. You know, you say oh yeah, yeah, right. I'm off to work now, dude. I'll yeah, be yeah. I'll be home at five. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> you know, and that's that's uh, something I miss when, when I'm on the road. You know, being able to go and earn my money and then come home. You know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm a little bit <clears throat> younger than you, not much. Yeah. But I'll tell you I've been playing for forty five years professionally now and mm-hmm. I still I mean I love playing more than I ever have in my life. Mm-hmm. I can honestly say that I'm excited to get to the guitar whether whether I'm just playing at home or whether I'm, you know, better yet, playing with some with a band or my band or in the studio somewhere. I just I just love it, you know, yeah. and it's it's great to have something like that that actually after all these years Oh, I mean, it frustrates the hell yeah. out of me sometimes, I'll be honest with you. But still, yeah. even in those moments, it's it's the, the greatest thing. I mean, do you still feel the same way? Oh, yeah. No,
1: I, I, I look forward to it. And you you're, you always think, ah, this is going to be the greatest gig, you know. And you're disappointed sometimes, you know. But most times I I, I leave with a, a sense of satisfaction knowing that I've done a you know, he says, I've played well tonight and it's it's been good practice for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, I did a gig recently out at uh, Viva Fresh in, in Burbank. You That's know, where, where my band plays a lot too. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah with well, a good friend of mine, Carmine, Carmine Sado. You know, oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, well, he's got a little country band that he plays with now and again. He said, you want to come out and just play some country? I said, yeah, I'd love to, you know. <laughs> And uh, I recently got a Gretsch guitar that I I took out, so it was fun to play that on a couple of tunes oh, too. Cool. It, it just uh I love that sound, you know, yeah. but I love, you know, I have my own model guitar, which I've had for quite a few years now, and I just love right, it. Right, I
0: know about that, and yeah. that was a Music Man guitar, but did Leo, was Leo running Music Man when you were doing that guitar? Because didn't Leo Fender start Music Man after Fender? Or didn't he have something to do with that? Yeah, oh, well,
1: he did, definitely, yeah. Well, I can, yeah. I can tell you that story. So I when I first came to the States, um, I got to... Uh, I got to meet up with Ernie Ball and his son Sterling they were they'd heard our version of Country Boy on the radio mm-hmm. and quite tickled to, to discover that this was an English band playing this you know yeah. so they came along to a few gigs and became really good friends you know and uh, around that time Sterling's godfather was uh, Tom Walker who uh, had worked for Leo Fender for many years and uh, he and Leo started the Music Man Company. You know, they were making making the amps, of course, and then right. they, they made the basses, and then they made this Sabre guitars, uh, which I didn't particularly like at the time, but I loved the amps, so I was using the amps from there on, really, and still have a bunch of them that I, that I use, and I love them. They're built like tanks, you know. But, uh, yeah, Leo left Tom... Left, left Music Man and uh, Tom carried on for a while with the amps but then decided to sell up and so he sold the company and the name to Ernie Ball and uh, the first thing that Sterling and Ernie wanted to do was uh, design guitars from, uh, from scratch. Ah. And, uh, you know, I, I was around at the time, and, you know, as was Steve Morse, and we kick in ideas of what we'd like in, in, in a guitar, you know. So, uh, you know, I played uh, the silhouette. I had a couple of silhouettes which I really liked, you know. And then they, uh, they came up with a, a, another design just as an experiment. And uh, I think for a while they were thinking about making, having it made in the Far East as like an entry level level model, you know. But uh, it, it didn't get a lot of interest at the, at the NAMM shows. So they uh, they didn't uh, they didn't do anything with it. But I always liked the look of it. It was kind of wacky looking, you know, like the George Jetson guitar, you uh, know. Anyway, uh, Sterling had one made for himself, which is just beautiful. It was all maple, maple neck, maple body. And uh, by that time, we we were playing in a band together. It was Biff Baby's All Stars, and it, that's that's his Sterling's nickname, Biff Baby. So we used to do a lot of work back back then, you know. And uh, uh, one particular gig, he said, "Oh, I've got, had this guitar made. You wait till you see it. You're going to love it, you know." So. Uh, Went along to the gig and he opened up the case. I thought, wow, fantastic. Mm. He said, okay, it's yours. And it it became my guitar from there on. And I, you know, I played it for quite a few years without it being on the market. You know, they, they didn't have enough production capacity to be able to put it on the market. And it wasn't until they got involved with Eddie Van Halen and they had a new factory built you know a larger factory that they were able to put my guitar in the line you know oh, so
0: and you designed it though I mean well I no, I didn't you know, know, you know did.
1: I, I adopted it you know that they, they, <laughs> they no they came out with it and I thought oh, lo- yeah this guitar's great you know I can't remember if the original had Seymour Duncan's I think it probably did but uh no I just I just loved it and when they uh when they decided to put it out on the market, and I said, "Well, I, you know, Seymour has been a really good friend for many, many years, and always given me pickups if I needed a guitar for a telly or right. whatever, you know. And if to, uh, a pick up for a telly, to, yeah. you know, yeah, oh, yeah, I'll send you some pickups, you know. Yeah. So I wanted to return the favour to him. I wanted to use his pickups in my my guitar, and they're, they're still they're still in the, in the model, you know. The original guitar was you know very much like a strat you know same setup you know three single coils uh but they've tried some other ideas since then which are, are really really interesting and i i love those too you know but um you know they they made a a three pickup p90 version oh. and they do a, a double humbucker now which is oh. really popular you know but my favorite is still the, still the three, like the three singles, strat kind yes, of single it, coils yeah yeah, I'm, I feel very fortunate all these years to have a guitar that I really like with my name on it. You know, there I'd, you go. I'd had I'd had offers before, and I thought, well, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait around Sterling. One of these days, Sterling will will put this guitar out with my name right. on it. And, Sure enough, he did. Thank goodness.
0: You're probably glad that they didn't take it and offshore it and make it in some factory somewhere and put it kind of out as a, like a studio. Yeah, well, they, had, no, no. they haven't
1: done that. They do have – you can buy cheaper versions of some of their other models, but they haven't done it with mine, so uh, – I don't know if that's good or bad, but...
0: <laughs> well, I had a, I had a, I had a, uh, the opportunity to make a model with uh, Ibanez, Ibanez, okay, you yeah, know, that yeah. company. I was in Japan in the late 70s, and basically I play L5s, so I just was having trouble getting them on the airplane. You know how big they are. Just the airplanes would see me come and it was like trying to mm. carry an elephant on the plane to them. They were very militant. Yeah. So I just gave it a haircut. I took like an inch off here and an inch off there. You know, it was just I basically like a guitar with a haircut. And uh, <laughs> And then they made it and I ended up, didn't get as famous as they'd hope I would. So... You know, I was very young mm. at the time and so they never went into production on so I've no. got the only one. And I don't <laughs> okay. I yeah. guess that's a good thing, right? It makes yeah. it more valuable. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is that, yeah. But um yeah. you know, I know you've done some teaching videos and you probably do workshops some of the time now, don't you?
1: Oh, I've done a lot of clinics for Ernie Ball over yeah. the years, yeah. yeah. You know, and they, I don't do them all the time, you know, um lately I've been doing more in Europe than the, than in the US. Because I think they they decided to sort of restructure their budget, you know, and put it into more print ads and mm-hmm. and videos and and so on, you know. So I haven't done I haven't done very very many clinics in the U.S. for a while, you know. But hopefully that that will turn around. But I do quite a quite a few in in uh, in in the U.K. especially because uh, they they're they're big. Um, supporters of, of of my my work and my guitars. Right. You know? And now my son, who uh, has been involved in the music business for a, a number of years, he had a music store and now he's been he's exactly working for the Ernie Ball music man distributor. Oh really? In the UK, you know. So oh, cool. I, I have an ally there, you know.
0: There you go. So they
1: they they're they're really good to me, you know, they get me lots of clinics mm-hmm. and, which is great. It's know? really
0: funny, I mean I hate to sound like a geezer grandpa right now, but it, <laughs> when I was learning to play, it was. It, I of course always played with the older guys in the jazz world. That's a real apprenticeship thing, you know. It's, sure, it wasn't yeah. as much like we kids get together and figure out our new way. It's more like you enter into the ranks yeah. through hard work and yeah. a lot of beatings, you know. But um, people would teach, and it, it was like they teach by playing and by telling you you weren't making it, you know, generally, Mm. that was the, that was the teaching I got. And it seems so different now the way Mm. with all the YouTube and all of us, I mean, I'm teaching in a university and I'm practically showing people where to put their fingers. Whereas back when I started, it was like, figure it out for yourself. Well, yeah, It was very much almost like we had to treat it like it was magic. And, you know, if you couldn't hear it, and you couldn't do it and you needed to not be part of this. I mean, it's yeah. very and and it's very strange how how that's changed over mm. the last 30 40 years, yeah. I think. And 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 I noticed in your, play, in, your in your teaching cuz I, I watched some of your videos, you know, it's like you mm. you know, well, you play it <laughs> and it's for anybody who really cares, it's obvious what you're doing. I mean, you can't hide it. it you can hear it. And you know, And yet there's some guy explaining how you put your wrist a certain way, and there's these computer graphics on how your hand is working. And I'm going, that's not gonna do anybody any good. All you gotta do is listen and figure it out yourself, right? And And, and, (laughs) and it's just it's become this really interesting way of playing. It's as if they're trying to get away from doing the most fun thing, which is if you Mm. play six hours a day with a band and then play on by yourself and you work on it and you listen to a lot of great music. You're going to be okay. Yeah. But everybody would rather it seems like take a lesson or or watch a video and try and you know what I'm saying? Yeah,
1: I, I really didn't for, for a long time I didn't I really didn't see anybody in the UK who was better than me. You know, there was there was no one to see. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Cliff Richard and the Shadows and you know, Hanks very sort of yeah. basic what what he yeah. does you know one guy who d- who did stand out but I didn't see him play that very, that often was big jim sullivan uh-huh. of course who uh, worked with a guy named marty wild at the, at the time and then went on to work with tom jones there were some j- jazz players but i, I you know that that was so alien to me, and, uh, st- and a lot of it still is. <laughs> I'm you, so
0: you, you so you didn't really like gravitate to listen? Like I know Louis Stewart was over; he was in Ireland, I guess. But he was a mm. great; he was around then, I assume. And
1: yeah, I mean, I, there were jazz players, but I, you know, if you wanted guitar lessons, one of the guys who was a, a neighbor of mine whose guitar I borrowed for a little while until his mother made him come and get it back, you yeah. know. He decided to, uh, after he saw that I was getting on so well. He decided he was going to take guitar lessons, so he went to the conservatoire in uh-huh. the in the in the near where we lived. You know, so he was learning classical guitar for five minutes. I don't think he ever did anything with it. <laughs> it became an artist eventually, but he um,
0: found the one thing that makes less money than guitar players. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but. Um, it was all listening to records, and you know you figure out by just uh, noodling away. You think, ah, oh, yeah, that's where he's doing it. He's down in the first position there. Yeah, that, that's where he's doing it, and, yeah. and uh, it just went on from there. You, know, you hear things that were slightly more complicated, and so yeah, well, he's doing it almost the same place, but you know he's he's playing around with it a little bit. And, uh-huh. You know, the yeah. solos that I did learn from records, you know, I, uh, I'd i play them for my own enjoyment. But, that you know, it wasn't long before I was able to play the same style but just play around with it and make it my own, mm-hmm. you know, and without being taught how to do it. You know, I just figured it out myself. This was, you know, early 60s. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, same thing happened to me. Well, it was like the musicians going you know figure it out do it yeah. And
1: like yeah or get and out yeah and no one to see no videos of course in instructional videos my goodness you know, you know the kids are spoilt now kids today kids uh, you know i did. mean i mean i love it myself i'm on youtube everything you've released i think i've got it so yeah. i'm one of the video kids yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is great you know i god i wish i had videos of or I mean, there are some videos of uh, of Jimmy Bryant. My all-time favourite player right. was Jimmy Bryant, you know, who I got to play with a couple of times. You know, I was astounded when I first came to the States. And uh, it was just a name, you know, and there were some albums. And I thought, does he still play? Is he around? What's he doing, you know? And then... I, uh, here I am in in Los Angeles, and I see oh he's playing at the Palomino. I can't yeah,
0: believe it.
1: Right. So I actually went along to the Palomino, sitting there so excited, you know. But he he wasn't playing a telecaster. He was playing like three three five or three three zero, but he he just played great, you know. And uh, before I knew it, I was up on stage with him because uh, Delaney Bramlett was in the audience oh. and he ca- he called Delaney up and De- and Delaney said, oh, Al- Albert Lee's out there, get-, get him up, you know. And there, wa- there wasn't another guitar there, so there I was playing with Jimmy Bryant. I was playing piano <laughs> on some blues or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah, gosh, I, I would have loved to have be am- been able to watch him play as i was learning and growing right. up you know i'd already been professional for like 12 13 years mm-hmm. by the time i saw, saw him you know yeah he was a big hero of mine as was uh james and still is you know yeah. so, and i'll get to work with james a lot lately you know so that's great fun to be, oh, be able so to play great. with him you know and uh he was a, he was a great influence and I listened to those records that he did with Ricky nelson and he was he was like 17 or so you know 16 17 and just playing real sort of basic blues but with such great feel and you know just a great touch that was a big influence
0: well, on my that's so playing. Cool. Did you, what what what's some of the other players were back in in London and England at that time? I mean that's such an exciting time. What were some of the other players like? Did you did you come across Hendrix and I know you worked with Clapton, but those kind of guys as well? Did you get yeah? There? Well,
1: as time progressed, I guess by the time I jo- I got back from Germany and uh, I joined a guy named Chris Farlow, Chris Farlow and the Thunderbirds, and it was. He's a great R&B singer, you know, and rock and roll, R&B, and he's still at it now, and he's older than I am. But we start to work for this circuit uh, of clubs around London, and uh, he was managed by this guy named Rick Gunnell, who ran a, a jazz R&B club called the Flamingo Club in Wardour Street in London a lot of great music was going on there you know i guess we started to play there in 65 georgie fame was the king there the guy named georgie fame played the Hammond organ and yeah he had a a really oh a guitar player that i forgot to mention who was who i admired back then was colin green who who played with georgie fame by that time we we were playing regularly in that club you know you'd play there were two bands that would play from like 8 to 11.30 and then another two bands would play from like 12.30 to 4 or whatever and sometimes you do the whole thing, you know. Uh, so on a regular basis I'd see Eric playing with John Mayle, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, John McLaughlin playing with uh, Ronnie Jones and the Nighttimers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andy Summers was playing with um, Zoot Money's big role band, you know. So there were a lot of really good guitar players playing. Yeah. You know, we'd see each other on a regular basis playing this this circuit and ending, ending up at the weekend playing at the um, a Flamingo Club, you know. So that was when I started to see a lot of really, really good players, you yeah. know. And it was around that time, I, I guess, a little later on, that um, Hendrix came in and he was... Uh, I think he was brought over by the bass player with the Animals, um, whose name escapes me at the moment. But um, I remember going to a rehearsal room. So they said, oh, you know, this guy, Hendrix, is, uh, you know, they're auditioning players, you know. So we walked in there, and it's a little rehearsal studios that a lot of the bands used to use, and they used to have little jazz sessions in there, you know. And I walked in there, and it was probably like a dozen people in there milling around you know and, I, and there's this guy up on stage playing the guitar with his teeth I thought what's
0: all this about?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway Mitch Mitchell was there you know oh, yeah, so sure, he, sure. he got the job you know
0: yeah
1: and uh, I can't remember who was playing bass at the time you know but uh, yeah that was the first time I ran into Hendrix and uh, I ran into him once or twice after that and he was a really nice guy really really friendly you know and uh I got the impression that he didn't think he was that good but he just loved what he did you know and uh, I remember my my namesake uh, Alvin uh-huh. Lee who I met in Hamburg in 62 it's not his real name by the way Oh really No <laughs> Alvin or Lee no, both oh. yeah No, <laughs> no but bless his heart he's passed away now but uh, oh he was
0: he was a great player Yeah right? he
1: yeah he was a really good player and we I saw him in Hamburg you know and uh, and uh, yeah, I think his name was something like Jeffrey Barnes, something Ooh. like that. You know. Anyway, we I remember him. He telling me, he, he was telling me once that he, he he'd uh, spoken to to Hendrix, and Hendrix said that he he and I were two of his favourite players. Wow. Which surprised me <laughs> because I, I had no idea that maybe he'd heard some of the Chris Farlow records or whatever. You know, but. Um, but you wouldn't think so, but you know the the, the difference in styles. But the, there you go. I'd li- I like to believe it's true. <laughs> there
0: you go. Well, maybe you know, maybe put it, so it on, t- put it on my website if I were you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: two two of his favourite British players,
0: probably. Yeah. Which did, yes. did you ever run across George Harrison? Was that
1: someone? That uh, with? I not until later on um when I was playing with Eric. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'd, I'd met any of the Beatles prior to that. No, actually, no, I did I did meet uh, two of the Beatles when I would, when I first got to LA uh, with the, the band I was with, Head, Hands and Feet. And uh, the band broke up, but we were still sort of hanging out here and a couple of the guys rented a, a really nice house in Encino and we des- decided to have a party, you know. And back in those days, I don't know if you remember Ireland's music service, you know, the answering service. It's oh. called Ireland's. So you could get in touch with anybody through Ireland, you oh, know. Wow. So you call up Ireland and say, "Well, I'm having a party. We'd like to invite some of the the A list people," mm-hmm. and so they'd they'd do it for you, you know. Oh, wow. So uh, yeah, we had this party, and we had uh, Joni Mitchell was there, and uh, and uh, John Lennon, Ringo, and a bunch of other players, you know. So I, I did get to meet uh, I did get to meet them, but uh, John wasn't. Uh, he was heavily involved in talking to another friend of mine who I'd been working with, uh, Rick Gretsch. You know, Rick and Rick and I were in the Crickets together. Mm-hmm. You know, Buddy Holly's old band, the Crickets. Uh, so uh, yeah, I remember John being heavy, in heavy conversation with with Rick. You know, and uh, he didn't really have time to <laughs> get into conversation with me. You know, and uh, and uh, I guess the same with uh, with Ringo too. You know, we met up with him, but that, that was it, really. It wasn't until uh, years later that we, you know, that he'd, <laughs> he'd yeah. recognise me and say, <laughs> and say hey, Howard, yeah, yeah, great to see you, you know. Took a while to for that to come to pass, you know. But, uh, yeah, I got to know George when I started working with Eric, you know, and uh, he, he came to see us play. When we, we played locally, uh, Eric would usually finish his tours with a doing a local church hall, you know, with a, um, and of course it would sell out immediately, or it'd be a lot of local friends coming by, you know. And, and uh, after one of these gigs, we uh, went back to Eric's house and we had a little jam, you know. And George was there, you know, and uh, my mum and dad were with me too, and they were oh, t- <laughs> quite great. tickled them to meet one of the Beatles. And,
0: yeah, yeah so. I mean, I wonder, I wonder if like if postmen, you know, when they have a party. If they go out and like let's let's go deliver a block of mail, you know what I mean? Because like when we have a party, we all get together and jam, right? But like I bet I bet they don't. I just get that feeling, you know what I mean? I mean here we are, we're musicians, uh, we work for a living, we play music. What do we do at a party? Ah, oh, uh, we play. You know, well,
1: they may go they may go have a party at the gun range. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, get going postal, I guess. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: How how was it
0: with the the Everly Brothers? How long were you with those, those? Oh those well, that
1: guys? that's a long story, which I'll, I'll I'll try and shorten for you. I first met them in '62, right? Through uh, someone you you'll probably know very well. The guitar player with them was Don Peake.
0: Oh yeah.
1: And uh, I was playing in a little cellar club in london and these guys there weren't a lot of people in and I, I looked up and see these guys taking great interest in us you know and anyway they chatted to us after the when we took a break and they said oh yeah you know of course, I realised they were American and wondered what they were doing there. And, so, and I said, well, actually, we're here with the Everly Brothers. And I thought, my heart sank because I was a huge Everly Brothers fan, you know. So I, I started to hang out with Don quite a bit, you know, I'd go to his hotel and we sit down and play guitar together. And uh, I mean, I have to say that he was a big influence upon me at that time, you know. I mean, he he was a really good player, but I, th- I think we influenced each other at that time, you know. And uh, he was having lessons with Howard Roberts, and and he, he you know, he'd work with Glenn Campbell and people mm-hmm. like that. I'd never heard of these people, you know, back in '62, you know. Yeah, right. And and BB B. King, he, and he was re- really into BB B. King at the time, and I'd never heard of BB B. King in 1962, you know. I I did meet Phil at that time, and uh, Don kind of had a bad spell and flipped out and. He was sick and he had to fly back to L.A. So Phil had to continue the, the tour on his own, mm-hmm. you know, with the, the bass player singing with him, you know. Uh, but they came over the, the following year and I met Don that time, and uh, uh, Don Everly, and, and Don Peake was, was also with them at that time, and uh, as was uh, a young drummer they just picked up at the high school named Jimmy Gordon. Uh. You know, so I got to meet Jimmy, for, Jimmy Gordon, for the first time. You know, and uh, each time the Everleys came to the UK, I try and get along to a gig. And they, you know, Phil would remember me. Don didn't remember me that well, you know. But Phil always always remembered who I was, and it was really nice, you know. And then by the time I finally got to to LA with with head, hands, and feet, an English friend of mine, Terry Slater. Had worked with the Everleys in the '60s here in the states. He um I think Phil had sponsored him and brought him brought him back to the states. And he was playing bass with them for a while. And then he uh, eventually he was working for a music publishers in the Capitol Tower. And we were signed to Capitol. And uh, he was happy to see us. You know, he said, Oh, come down. I'll get some of the old mates down to see you play at the Troubadour." And uh, Phil Phil came out, you know, Phil Everly came out to see us play and and uh, Neil Diamond and uh Jim Horn, you know, some of my heroes came yeah. out to see us. I thought, Wow, I'm I'm loving LA. This uh, is great, yeah. you know.
0: Every day's gonna be like yeah, that if I move and, here. and yeah, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, see Phil
1: actually uh I was over at, at uh, Terry's house one day, Terry Slater's house and Phil was there and they were sitting down playing guitar and he said, "You don't know know any guitar players. We're looking for a guitar player." <laughs> <And I> thought, <laughs> curses! You know, I'm yeah. I'm heavily involved with this band. You know, right. I would have loved to join the Everly Brothers. You know, but you know, things were starting to happen for us. You know, and he said, "Oh, by the way, we're going to Disneyland tomorrow. Do you want to come?" <laughs> I said, "Wow, great!" So off I went to Disneyland with Phil Everly, and oh. so that that was a uh, that was kind of fun. You know. It was a little later on, uh, well, I guess it was a a year or so later, 73, I'd left Heads, Hands and Feet and uh, I joined the Crickets. They were doing a gig in England and uh, actually I I owe a couple of really good gigs to to Elvis Presley because... uh, they were they were due to play at this club, and uh, Glendy Harden, the piano player, couldn't couldn't make the first couple of shows. So uh, uh, Rick Gresh, who was playing bass with them, said, "Oh, you, you want to come and play with the crickets for a couple of gigs?" Oh, well, wow, fantastic! You know, I, I I did the the gigs with them, and they, uh, you know, they were a lot of fun and. Uh, at the end of the first night, Jerry Allison, a drummer, said, Hey, do you want to do the whole tour? Oh, I said, that's yeah. great. <laughs> great. So there I was a cricket for a couple of years. We'd found myself back here with them and uh, recorded with them in Nashville and in LA. I remember being at uh, Jerry Allison's house and he got a call from Don Everly, and Don had just split up with his brother he said to Jerry Allison hey you come out to this bar out in Galabasas it's a Sundance saloon he said it's great jam out there lots of great players and you'll have great fun come on out so uh, I tell this story often because I always, I always think it's funny you know uh, Jerry said uh, oh, I've got Albert Lee here and uh, there was kind of a lull at the end of the line he said that's Phil's friend isn't it because <laughs> they just <laughs> had this big fight Yeah. You know? So uh, anyway, I went out there and I, I, I guess I took my guitar with me. And I sat in, and I, immediately I was Don's best friend. You know? Oh, that's great! And we were, you know, I didn't really see Phil very much after that. But I, I was, I, I did a lot of stuff with Don from there on. We play regularly every Tuesday or Thursday night, and the, I mean, it was the pick of the crop of of, of country rock musicians in, in LA, you know, first of all, the, the first night I went out there, it was Al Perkins playing steel, and then most of the other nights that I went out there, Buddy Emmons was playing steel, so I was in heaven, my, my hero, Buddy Emmons, Burham Berline played fiddle, Doug Dillard, John Hartford played banjo, a lot, a lot of players, Glenn Campbell came out there once, I even got Lonnie Donegan out there once, and once I started to work with Lou, you know, I had, uh, I was, you know, Rodney Crowell would come out and uh, and uh, Roseanne Cash, you know, so uh, yeah, I, I became Don's big pal, you know, and we we did uh, a few things together. I did a tour of the UK where uh, I was, you know, I went over as as his guitar player, but. You know, I, I was <laughs> encouraged to sing with him. You know, so before I knew it, I was an Everly brother. <laughs> you know, I was singing harmony with him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think he really, uh, he really did appreciate that. As did his wife at the time. You know, and they, they, they knew how much. I mean, I, he was, uh, he was a, a great friend. I, I think at one time. I, I was doing some session work and I, I borrowed like three of his acoustic guitars. He said, oh, yeah, take it, take it. So, mm. And uh, he knew how much I coveted his uh, black J200 with the matching white oh, pick sure? guards.
0: Because
1: yeah. I'd played, actually played Phil's one in London in 1962, the, the matching one. Anyway, to my great surprise, you know... Uh, His wife pulled me aside and said, "Well, you you know, Don really appreciates how how you've been helping him out over the last year or so. You know, because he's found himself on his own, really. Mm -hmm. You know, he's always had his brother there. You know, and we, you know, he knows how much you love that guitar. Tell you what, he wants to give it to you." And I thought, "Oh my goodness!" (laughs) So, uh, and by this time, he was living in Nashville. And uh, so, yeah, I, I was in Nashville and uh, it was in actually in storage. He went over to storage and got it out and uh, I flew back to L.A. with it, you know. And it was just as well because not long after that, someone stole a bunch of stuff from oh, the storage wow. unit and he lost, he lost three guitars at least and that would have gone as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, fortunately, he had... The iconic guitar uh, that he owns and still has is the Southern Jumbo that his father bought bought him in the early fifties. He bought it for him because it was uh, Hank Williams was playing one at, right, at the time, right. you know. And that's the guitar he used on "Bye Bye Love," "Wake Up Little Susie," "Problems," mm-hmm. all those great guitar intros mm-hmm. weren't on the J 200s as everybody would imagine. They were on this Southern Jumbo, and uh-huh. I actually got to use that. I actually bought it. <laughs> for a few days, and actually used it on on, on a solo album that I uh, of his that I played on the Sunset Towers album. So yeah, I ended up with this uh, fantastic guitar, and still have it, of course. Yeah. yeah.
0: How do you play them all?
1: Yeah, well, they all I, call I, I down, don't. don't they? I, I, the, you know, the more more expensive ones are locked away in a huge safe, <laughs> in a fireproof safe, of course. But. Yeah. Um, no, I've got guitars that I I never touch, and uh, I I've, I don't think it's as bad as uh, guys who have hundreds of guitars, where they have like they got six Stratocasters and six tellies and you know, or one from each year, and right. you know, I think that's crazy. You know, I mean, I try to get used when I'm when I'm at home, and if I'm doing, especially if I do an album. I try and get use out of a lot of these guitars for the different sounds, you know. Uh-huh. You know, I've got some nice Gibsons. Uh, I've got a, a, a two ninety five gold top, you know, from the fifties. Sure. And I always wanted a Birdland, and uh, in fact, both uh, I had a, a Birdland given to me mm-hmm. by a, a German guy who wanted me to get him backstage. A backstage pass and tickets to see Eric Clapton. I said, "Sure, you got it." <laughs> he, gave me, he, gave, he gave me a, wow. a 68 Birdland. More
0: expensive tickets, I've, yeah, you know, 60, a 68 Birdland.
1: 68 Birdland, which I still yeah. have, and I love that. You know, oh no, no I'm, I'm getting mixed up. No, he gave me the 295, the gold oh, okay. top 295. The Birdland was given to me by another uh, German fan, who. Uh, who actually gave me three guitars, bless Whoa, his heart. Yeah, he was a huge, huge fan. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. Um, I love the Birdland.
0: So you kids out there, if you learn to play guitar real well, <laughs> people will give them you.
1: <laughs> I'm still waiting for a 50s 6120.
0: Oh, okay. I'll give you my L5. She's not treating me too good this morning. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, oh, I
1: always loved L5s. Yeah. Uh, the music shop that my son eventually became Became manager of because he managed the uh, owner's wife, uh, owner's owner's daughter. Oh,
0: Sorry, no, wait a minute here. Yeah. <laughs> this is starting yeah. to sound weird. <laughs> not too You may want to no. save this for a screenplay. Yeah, yeah. I think you said manage you mean marry. Oh, oh yeah, 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 Manage marry That's kind of. Oh incentive. yeah, no, no.
1: He he went on to manage the, the store because yeah. he met ma- he. And he married he, the daughter. He the married owner. the daughter after oh, that. Okay. Yeah, so so anyway, I, I can remember back. Early '60s, he had a a a cutaway L five without a pickup on it, you know. And I'd look at that guitar and think, "Oh, isn't that fantastic?" And back in those days, I I just couldn't justify having more than one guitar. Of course. And then when I eventually was able to, at one point, I did have three guitars, and then it was down to two. And uh, you know, it took a lot of justifying for me to to be able to. To do that, and, uh, and not a lot of people could afford guitars like that at that time. And of course, I regret not getting that L five. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And the ones you've sold too, right? Oh well, Along yeah, way, yeah. I've tried
1: to, I've tried to stop doing that. You know, I. Well, uh, the the Les Paul Custom I had uh, back in like '65 or so, I was or '66. This guy would come down to the Flamingo and pester me and he said, oh, he said, you know, if you want to sell that Les Paul, you know, let me know, I "I really want that Les Paul, you know. And I had the chance to buy from a friend of mine uh, a Super 400. It was a 1959 Super 400 with 2 pickups, Sunburst. So I sold the the Les Paul and played the... uh, played the Super 400 for a year or so and really regretted it because it, it was totally... a
0: big guitar for a guy your size. Yeah, well, I mean, that right? didn't bother me it didn't. too
1: much. It is, was a big guitar, yeah. yeah. It didn't bother me too much, but it was totally wrong for the way I was playing, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, I sold it back to the guy who who I'd um, bought it from and, of course, regretted for many years selling my Les Paul. Mm-hmm. And uh, it eventually ended up, I did see it, and I was in a BBC studio and I saw this guitar case and I I thought, that case looks familiar, and I opened it up. I said, well, that's my Les Paul. And I, I picked it up out of the case and there was a big chunk of wood taken out of the back. What? And I thought, the guy, it was too heavy for the guy, so he'd, oh. he'd, <laughs> he'd taken a big chunk of wood out of it, you know. Anyway, it turns out it belonged... And still belongs to uh, Eric Stewart of uh, the Mindbenders and later uh-huh. 10CC. And we're in touch still, you know. And uh, he sent me pictures of it and I wouldn't even recognise it now. Now it's got two pickups and it's a different colour. And he said, oh, it's my favourite guitar. And So I sent him pictures of, of, what, of, it of like it, what it looked like originally when I had it and uh-huh. so on, you know. So I, when I first joined Eric in 79, we did our first rehearsal and... Uh, I, I told him about my Les Paul, you know, because he, he had a bunch of guitars there, and I said, oh, I used to have a Les Paul custom, and God, I really regret selling it, you know, and uh, he said, uh, well, yeah, yeah, I've got one of those at home, you know, and I, I thought, no, I didn't think any more of it until yeah. the next day, the roadie came in carrying this case, and uh, I was like, here's your Les Paul, and he, he gave me his Les Paul custom, that wow. he'd use with Delaney and Bonnie and, oh, wow. and, and with Cream, Wow. and uh, I think he, uh, I think it was years later that he realised that he didn't have this guitar anymore because when he started doing, his uh, organising his first big auction, uh-huh. and the, he and the roadie were going through the cellar with all the guitar cases, he said that Les Paul, he said, oh, God. Damn he said, I gave that to Albert, didn't I? <laughs> 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 he wasn't about to get it back. Uh, no one. Well, no, I don't know. Well, you, you, my wife, who is also here, did he? he didn't ask for it back then, then, did he? In a roundabout way. I think
0: it, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, that's. I so, yeah. so you heard it here first, Eric Clapton, <laughs> Indian Giver.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I did have a, I did have
1: a, a real scare. A year or so ago, his uh, his right hand man, who who uh, you know goes out on the road with him, lives here in L.A., and he called me up. And he said, "Oh, you know, uh, Gibson, wanted to do uh, a a copy of the of the guitar, a limited run of, of Eric's guitar, and uh, they promised that they you know that they'll take really incredible care oh, of it." Oh, they wanted it they wanted just to bar it. it. And yeah, and they wanted to it. borrow yeah. it, and and. And I was—I thought, oh, God, I don't feel good about this. But I thought, okay, well, I can't say no, you know. So uh, I was prepared for them, you know, that they were they were going to ca- hand carry it on the plane, take it back to sure. Nashville to the, you know, the custom shop there. Anyway, uh, the next day or the day after, they, they decided that they weren't going to go ahead with it because they couldn't get the... The, exactly the same wood that they right. used back then because of all the problems Gibson have right. had with the... Oh, wow. With, with, with all the Lacey the, Act, yeah. Uh, yeah, and the Honduras, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's the, it's the yeah. Endangered Species Act. Yeah.
0: It's yeah. called the Lacey Act. They, had, they ran into a lot of trouble with that. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so it didn't happen. It didn't and, happen. And you know. got the guitar back in one piece. Oh,
1: no, they did, didn't even take it. They oh. Didn't, oh, they didn't no, even they take it. No, they didn't even take good. it. That's good. Oh, right. yeah, no, I still have it. Good. And, uh, I mean, uh, part of my bargain would have been you know so well could, you know any, cha- any, any chance of having one of the
0: reproductions Re- oh, <laughs> no no that's not any chance yeah well Given. how was it working with eric how many years were you working with eric? Five, five five years yeah.
1: yeah well that that was a whole story in itself you know i mean i, I did that he'd uh, been working with his band uh his Tulsa band his nickname was the for them was the Tulsa Tops right you know Cole Radle and Dick Sims and Jamie Oldacre you know great band and uh, he'd done a tour uh, he just finished a tour without a second guitar I think the guitar player had left I forget George something I forget his name now he'd left so he did a tour without a second guitar and uh, Eric and I were doing uh, an album Together for a, a guy called, called Mark Benno, and it, uh, it was produced by Glenn Johns in London. So you know, flew to London to do this album. And I thought, wow, great! And there I was for a whole week with Eric in the studio, and it was good, good fun, you know. And uh, we hadn't really seen each other for a long time, you know. Didn't didn't run into each other very often. And uh, after about four or five days, uh, the manager came up to me. Uh, he said. Well, um, do you want to, do you fancy going on robe with Eric? you know he you, you know he misses having a second guitar I thought, wow, yeah, okay. <laughs> I just finished a solo album and I thought, what am I gonna do here i'm am I, am I gonna try and get back with Emmy Lou? What I should do is put a band together and tour with it you know, but I was a, a reluctant front man, of course at that time. I thought, wow, how can I turn this down you know going right. out with eric so yeah, we went off off on the road we did a big tour of the u.s that summer and uh, at the beginning of beginning of which he uh, he got married to patty in uh somewhere in uh, uh arizona. arizona it was in arizona yeah and uh and then uh you know my karen was was with me th- through a lot, a lot of the the tour as well more who was later to be my wife who was uh on a lot of the gigs, you know, uh, Eric would uh, introduce the band. He said, oh, yeah, now on guitar we've got Albert Lee and his lovely gu- lovely lady, Karen, over there, and they're, they're going to be getting married soon because yeah. he thought, you know, he just got married, so yeah. now he was going to Yeah, fo- gonna, he, yeah get, no, Right, right yeah. it's your turn to get Thanks, married buddy. now. <laughs> I got married. It's your turn. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we did at the end of the tour. Karen and I got married. No regrets, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, at at the end of that tour, he fired the whole band, except me. And I thought, what's going on here? I guess he liked having an English guy around. I mean, he had an English road crew, mostly. But he likes having an English guy around. And he thought, well, I'm going to put an English band together, which he did. You know, he got Gary Brooker and Chris Stanton.
0: Uh, I bet Donald Trump would have a lot to say about that. Yeah, <laughs>
1: Henry Spinetti on drums, you know, and uh, and we toured for a couple of years, and then to my great surprise, he fired all those guys, and and I managed to survive that too. Oh, so I thought,
0: oh, this Guillotine's is ta- coming soon. You yeah, know,
1: yeah. T- it's just telling you know, I'm learning a lesson here. This isn't going to last forever you know he was he was in a bad way towards the end there he'd he'd been sick and we had to cancel a tour and uh you know he'd been drinking a lot of course you know and uh before I got fired on the on that last tour um i think we we were in the in the middle east or i think it was after I got back from from israel that we i i got fired. I mean, there wasn't much lined up. He was going to do an album, and uh, I went up to the office to pick up my money, and his manager said, well, sorry, boy, we you know, they do, he'd, he won't be needing you on the next album. So that's album. the way he did
0: it. He didn't, like, give you any monogram luggage or anything. No. Well, was well, it going
1: it, away present? <laughs> uh, it was very generous through the first, especially the first tour. I mean, uh, at the beginning of the tour, one of the guys had this uh, ste- portable stereo system, which was kind of state-of-the-art at the time. It was a Nakamichi tape uh-huh. machine and little ADS speakers, you know, that came in a in, yeah. a, in a Halliburton case, you know. Yeah. And we thought, oh, that, God, that's really cool, you know. So uh, by the time we, we showed up for the first, I don't know if it was the first rehearsal or if it was at the first gig, there we are, we all had these... Uh, Whoa. But a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful portable stereo <laughs> systems, you know, which I still have, by the way. You know, at the end of that tour, he gave us all video equipment because that was, that was the new thing then. This really? was like seventy nine, so I got I got a big portable VHS recorder and player, you know, and a and, you know camera to stick on your shoulder, and you know, but it kind of you know, the subsequent tours, it. it, it it wasn't so, quite so good. Yeah, we, we went to Japan, and we came back with a Walkman. You know? <laughs> so you know, I mean, that was
0: also technology. You got to understand. Yeah, which is a good. good I remember deal, my know? first trip to Japan and get coming back with the Walkman when it was brand new, and I w- it just blew my mind. Just it was mind-boggling. Wasn't it exciting? That, yeah. Oh that, god. It was like a shock.
1: Yeah, I still have it, but it doesn't work. I need to. See if we can get it working again, <laughs> but yeah, that was yeah. such a great. But now we've got, yeah. you know. So moving
0: forward, I I really appreciate your time. First of all, oh, being well, so generous welcome. You know, yeah, I, awesome. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, when people ask me where I live now, I say mostly in the past. <laughs> so um, it's always fun going down memory lane. But I'd yeah. like to talk about what's going on now and what you've got. Any plans? Any projects for the? For the future, you got a new record, maybe, or any well, sort of exciting things you Well, yeah, well, things have, have
1: happened uh, at quite a pace over the last couple of years. You know, I've been working with Bill Wyman for a number of years. I'm still doing that. If he if he puts anything together, I'll still go and do that. You know, no more Everly Brothers, of course. But I I finally decided that working with my UK band after. 20, 27 years, it was getting a bit too much because I I'd, I'd be away from home if especially if I had a, a Bill Wyman tour tagged onto it, I'd be away f- from home for like seven, eight months of the year. And I thought, I've got to make a change. you know I just got, I can't be away from home for that long you know do, you know a, a, an average trip was like six weeks or two months. And things always go wrong at home, you know I'm never there to fix anything and it it's hard to maintain a yeah. you know a relationship trying to get on the phone at odd hours and you know when you're in europe and I tell, and the the band you know it it had seen better days, and I was getting fed up with it so i I quit the band i got I gave them nine months' notice, I think. But that still wasn't enough. They were st- still really... They were still mad at you, right? Oh, they were still really mad at me, yeah. Right. The, the 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 keyboard player quit almost immediately, you know. And I said, well, I'm going to... You know, I gave him a whole tour after... I think I started the tour and I said, I said, uh, at the end of the next tour, I said, that, that'll be it. So he, he quit at the end of this first tour, you know. He said, oh, you know and complaining about, oh, some of us have got mortgages and, you know, and I I said, guys, you know, (laughs) I've given you all this notice, Uh, you know. So anyway, uh, by which time I started to do some... Actually, it started with uh, Jim Cowan, who is now my manager. He put put together a tour uh, with um, John Jorgensen. So, So it was John Jorgensen and myself doing, you know... Uh, singing and uh, you know splitting the the leads and and everything with the, with the rhythm section, and uh, we did some gigs in in the states, and I thought, well, well, this you know this went really well. I like I like the way this has gone, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I know that I can, you know, I can do these gigs on my own, because uh, on a lot of those gigs I I, I was, uh, I was better known than he was on on some of the gigs that of we course, did, you know. Yeah. So uh, Jim and I talked about it, and I said, "Well, uh, you know, I want to give this a try."
0: So we're going solo again. Yeah. So All here right. I am, but solo,
1: solo in the US rather than uh, UK. So uh, we've been doing that for three years now, I guess. Going on number four. My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So they said it wouldn't last. Yeah. So <laughs> we're um, we're booking gigs. Uh, Around the states, we're, we're tackling different markets, and you know, there's still a lot of markets that we haven't touched yet. And we've been to Japan a couple of times, and uh, we I've taken the band, the US band, back to Europe, you know. But uh, that's an expensive kind of venture yeah, to so do that, I don't you know. know. Yeah. But we're, we have a we have an, uh, another tour booked l- later in the year, so I have a lot more of that to look forward to, you know. And and I'm, and I can go away for. You know, no more than two or three weeks, uh-huh. you know, sometimes just uh, a weekend and and it's great, I'm back home, you know. So that that's a bonus for me, you know. Uh, but uh, another thing that I've started to do is formed a, a duo with Peter Asher. Oh. And I know that he's been going out with his own band, doing like a little showcase where he tells his life story with visuals and, uh-huh. you know, it's been going well for him, I'm sure. But uh, uh, I think he he liked the idea of doing it with me because uh, there's, there's only two of us. You know? right, that seems so, to
0: be the way the world is working yeah, these days. I'm, I'm, I mean, I feel like I work for the airlines. Yeah, I mean, yeah, people yeah, ask me, what yeah. do I do? I'm a jazz guitar player. You work for the airlines. I didn't know they hired them. No, you don't understand. I just give them half my money. Yeah. <laughs> I work for them. Yeah. I mean, it's like whenever yeah. I have a band, it's moving three people around, and yeah. it's just gotten... That's the real difference. We're making the same money yeah. we made in the '70s. It's just hotels and airfare and food cost a hundred times more. Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah, the wages haven't gone up much. No, have no, they, really? no. <laughs> you know, it's like especially a, club gigs here in right. town. oh, in LA. Um, yeah, that's, oh, LA's always been famous yeah. for that. Uh, you so. know, occasionally someone will call me up and say, "Hey, what?" It pays $75 and, you know, it's in Palmdale. I thought, no, I don't don't think
0: so. (laughs) Yeah, well... uh,
1: I like to go out and and jam, you know, and play. Well, just give them my number, okay?
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I've got a a request. You, You guys have to play together. Bruce is by far one of the best bebop jazz players in the world. And you're one of my favorite country guitar players. I mean, you guys playing in Bruce's Bebop, Cowbop band. I have be... a band that mixes Texas Swing and Honky Tonk and Jazz all together in oh, one great. fun thing. Right. And you would sound so it'd good with amazing. this band. Oh, I yeah. It would be such an honor to have you play with it and to get to play with you, and you, this stuff would go down like molasses. You oh, would oh, have oh it. well, let me know. It and sounds, and sounds, it would, sounds great. things with them. Yeah, it's it's again. fun. It's fun, too. It's a yeah. lot yeah. of fun. We we like, yeah. uh, I promise you'll go home with your face hurting from smiling. Yeah,
1: no idea. Yeah. No, that's the kind of thing I like to do around town, you know. Yeah, at Viva too, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: we do it at Viva. I'll, yeah. I'll let you know after the, after we're done here where, where we're playing, and I'll I'll let you All know because right. uh, yeah. I just I, I just want to thank you guys for spending so much time yeah. here awesome. once again. Um, None, of course, this whole thing won't air, but I'm going to say it on our podcast that yeah. the Malibu Guitar Festival is where you'll be playing next. There's the April yeah. 28th at the Casa Escobar, which is a big jammerama. You're sitting with Steve Ferrone, right? Yeah. And then the 29th, you'll be playing with your band. Yeah. We've got May 7th and 8th at McCabe's. Mm-hmm. And we've got the Eclectic Music Festival in South Pasadena on May 15th. Mm hmm so when's, when's Malibu what's the date for? Malibu again is April 28th and 29th with Albert's band being the feature band on the 29th yeah. it's actually
1: over four days I think but yeah what, the festival oh, check I'm,
0: that out it's the Malibu Guitar Festival yeah and uh, just what a what a privilege and honour and oh
1: thank you pleasure <laughs> it's been to hang out yeah, with it's you it's been fun yeah well, I, I, I ramble on because I I do these guitar clinics you know and I'm up there for two hours you know so You get into a role with it. Yeah,
0: well, you know, at least you have something to say.